I know everybody kind of tiptoes around money in publishing because it's kind of not the done thing, um, but I feel like 99% of the conversations I have are about money. Hey y'all, it's 2024 and welcome to another You May Contribute Verse. Team Versi is Brenna Jenneret, author and outdoors mom, John Seymour, podcast wizard and headmaster of Tealmore Press, and me, Josh Munkin, science communicator, dad, and author who is definitely going to sort out a kidlit writer's guild in his free time. Steph Campisi has a lot of irons in the fire, but not so many that she couldn't make a bunch of time for an incredible conversation recorded last May. And woo boy, a lot has happened since then, both for Steph and for the world. Our chat with Steph covers a lot of what I particularly admire about her. Tenacity, dedication, passion, acumen, creativity, and openness to approaching the world with the swagger and bravado perhaps befitting a Marvel superhero. Seems to be working out for her just fine. You'll gather as much from our chat, but it certainly seems like contracts and negotiations are an ongoing consideration requiring constant attention. If you haven't checked out Steph's work, please do, in particular Quacks Like a Duck and Lewis and Tabitha, both of which are discussed at various points in this chat and for very different reasons. Happy New Year. Here is Stephanie Kempisi's verse. Well, just just for people listening, so this is You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Brenna Jenneret. This is Josh Munkin, my co-host. And we're here with Steph Kempisi. Is that how you say your last name? Kempisi. Oh, I got it. Awesome. It's like I own a caravan business. <laughs> Camp easy. Oh, oh, I love that. Camp easy. Oh, my gosh. That, I mean, we may already have the title of this Steph podcast. Steph Camp caravan business. <laughs> it, you have a clear, I think it, more importantly, you have a clear fallback in case this writing thing doesn't work out for you. Exactly, exactly. And I can also, I have some doppelgangers. I had, a, I met a name doppelganger the other day as well. So I can always just like slide into somebody else's life. I was at this book festival and this couple came up to me and they were like, are you Steph Campisi from the Bronx? And I was like, I'm clear, very clearly not Steph Campisi Yeah, right. Let me just say anything and you'll realize I am not from the Bronx. <laughs> and they were just looking at me. I was like, well, surely you would know if I was the Steph Campisi that you would know, but apparently not. So... I'm very interchangeable. I can just be all the Steph Campeses at will if I need to be. So there you go. I mean, is that your next book? I feel like that would be a great book. Like if you could just slide into all of the other Steph Campeses of the world. There, there, there are a few. I've had like a Steph Campese email me. So there's definitely like a thing going on. <laughs> like our name doppelgangers are like, yeah, traveling the world, looking for each other. Yeah. So usually called Sam. People come up to me and ask if I'm Sam everywhere I go. So really? I think there's definitely a creepy book in that yeah, yes like, definitely how weird um, yeah, different people call yeah, you I just I guess I look like a Sam yeah <laughs> we go Sam Wall so Steph Campbell from the Bronx so yes. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah okay well I mean let's talk about books that feels appropriate <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, okay. So first of all, first of all, so we are all on the Discord channel together. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to Nathan's amazing work. Shout with out that. PB and Workshop. A, a shout out to That's him. Right. Um, and if anyone is listening and you want, yeah, PB Workshop. Workshop. Oh my gosh. If anyone's listening though, and you want to um, join and get involved, just we'll put a link in the show notes because it's a great resource um, for writers. 
Anyway, so we're all in there, and I have I have seen you on there recently talking about like just getting like great news. Like you've been, I think, like some work for hire stuff, and then you got like you got an email like requesting that you like help with this like project, and I I was like the, I I want to know more about all of that when we talk to you. So oh, if we could start yeah. with that, that'd be cool. <laughs> start with the good news. Well, yeah. I've got to say, like ninety nine percent of the time, it is bad news. I just don't talk about that. <laughs> right. I, just, I mean, hide in a corner. <laughs> um, so when there is good news, I, yeah, fake it till you make it, right? That's when you go to the squat rack in the garage. Exactly, yes, that's right. I mix out my squat, yeah. yeah. Or you go camp easy somewhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I am in rural Tennessee at the moment, so there's lots of places to camp. Um, yeah, I actually have had like a little bit of good news recently, which is nice because, I mean, it has not been like an overnight thing by any means. I'm like the longest, slowest person on this writing journey ever. And everybody's always like, wow, you're such a, like a thanks. case study in perseverance. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> like, thanks, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> to be that like, perpetual failure, but that is me. <laughs> so it's nice. I think I'm a case study in just like dogged determination. Like, I think if you just hang in there long enough, potentially a lot of people drop off and you're the last man, the last girl standing. And that's kind of what you have to be. So uh, that, that is me, uh, relentless, like the Terminator. Uh, and, um, and bit by bit, you do start to get good news. So yeah, I have a few things in the works and I can only talk about in that really mm. weird, like oblique publishing. Oh, sure. There are some book-shaped things coming mm, to Book-shaped things. Stock books sometime in the next 10 years. Nice, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I have a few things on the go. Um, next year, it actually, it looks more exciting than it is just because things have been shifted around due to COVID and stuff. So I have had quite a few books launching next year, like seven or eight books or oh something. My God, but that's oh, oh my thing. Um It didn't all happen at once. I didn't just sell like seven books all at once. They were all shuffled around and... Okay. It's, it's okay. Quite a daunting year. <laughs> so so let's let's like back up and unpack that just a little because yeah because seven or eight books I mean yeah anyone who's just like happening upon you is gonna be like holy crap like she just you know woke up and like sold eight books but you know I mean obviously if you're a writer like everybody knows that's probably not true but can you tell us like where it started like how your writing journey sort of progressed and how you got yeah. to this point. Absolutely. I mean, for anyone listening, I would love to sell seven or eight books all at once. Please come and find me. I would love to do that. Um, but yeah, so I uh, actually I started off writing middle grade novels. And my first one, if this makes, I don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse. My first one went out on submission and I think 2012, it might have been 2011, died on submission. Uh, I quit writing for a little bit. <laughs> um, came back in a few years later with another novel. That went out on sub, died on submission. I quit writing for a little bit, wrote another novel. <laughs> um, and then I was just like, you know what, I'm going to start writing picture books. So I wrote some picture books. Uh, I actually sold one to a small press relatively quickly, which was a surprise um, because all of my efforts to that point had just failed mm. miserably. Um, and so that came out with a small press and did pretty well. I got pretty good reviews and then nothing else happened and all of my books got rejected and I got dumped by my agent and all that fun uh, stuff. Well, uh, well, and I was definitely, I was at the point. I, oh, I was going to say, what, oh, what, was, your, what was your debut and what was the press and what was the year? It was <laughs> Dumpling, which is a retail of the Ugly Duckling. 
Uh, and it came out through a small press called Mighty Media in Minneapolis. Uh, they do wonderful books and they did a great job promoting it. Like a very small press, but with a very big reach. Um, they did a really good job. Uh, and then, so that came out and I was like, yes, I'm kind of doing this. And then it kind of got to the point where it had been several years. And I had this this kid reach out to me. They were doing a writing and publishing program and they were like, can I interview you? And there was like a last minute thing. They were like, it's due in an hour. And I was like, sure. <laughs> I'll help you cool. out. And yeah. I was at that point. I was like, I'm never going to sell another book ever again. Like I just kind of accepted that. And then literally the week later, <laughs> a week later, I saw my book, Lewis and Tabitha, which came out with Holly Mengett. I think, I think it was like three years after uh, The Ugly Dumpling. I think, I think it was 2018. It actually moved pretty fast when it came out. Uh, and so I had like a, I had a little bit of a relationship with that publisher after that. They asked for a few more books and bit by bit I was kind of working my way in there. Um, meanwhile, still trying to sell novels. They all died on submission and I kept getting dropped by my editors or they, my agents or they'd quit the business. <laughs> so there was lots of crying in a corner. Um, and then last year, like I, was, I sort of had like a little bit of momentum going. Like I was selling to like smaller presses um, with you know, the, the books ended up being beautiful and I'm very happy with how they've done. Um, but I was like, okay, I need to do this. I either need to make this happen or I just need to accept that it's not going to happen. So I did a thing last year where I was like, this is my year of being shameless. And I was so shameless. I'm so sorry to everybody. I was very shameless. Uh, I was like, what would a guy on the internet do? And because I'd seen all these guys on Twitter be like, hey, I want a million dollar book deal. And they would get one. And I'd be like, well, I could do that, surely. <laughs> and then I, would, I remember that. And it, it was kind of inspired by that. And then this interview I read ages and ages ago with Neil Gaiman, how he was basically like, fake it till you make it. And he pretended that he'd written for all of these publications and so on. But there came a point where he had written for all of them. And he'd been doing it for so long and persisted for so long that, well, I mean, he's Neil Gaiman, um, that he you know, was doing the thing. And so I work as my day job is as a copywriter. So I kind of worked on probably some stuff you've heard on, heard of, um, but in like kind of like a publishing adjacent kind of mm. niche. Um, and that's a secret. And I can't talk about any of that, of course. <laughs> of course. Secret agent. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I'm pretty confident, I think, in my ability to write, less confident in my ability to sell stuff. Um, but so, yeah, last year I was like, I'm going to put my hand up for stuff. I'm going to put my name out there. And so I saw some calls for submissions and calls for work for hire projects. And I was like, me, 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 uh, put my hand up for everything, audition for stuff. Um, applied to write books. So we're sort of an existing series as well that one of my publishers was putting out. And I was like, why not? This is a great series. Maybe I can add to this. Uh, and so that kind of went through. Um, I landed a three book chapter book series through that, um, wow. a middle grade fantasy novel that is now being. Ex oh, I can't talk about that anymore. <laughs> I'm going to rename this episode the Didactic podcast episode with yeah. stuff can't be seen it's like all blacked out and bleeped <laughs> sorry no 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 it's okay yeah, yeah. It's, we'll bleep yeah it's not it's not your fault it's publishing's fault because everything moves so slow no it's exactly it's like everything's redacted sorry this is all just blanked out even my name yeah right, um, right. <laughs> so, so little bit by little bit um people started saying yes to stuff like the majority of the time they say no still because that's that's publishing for you and, and fair enough 
Um, not everything is the right fit for every house or for every editor mm. and not every project is as strong as every other project or as timely or whatever. Um, but yes, Year of Being Shameless worked out relatively well. It was exhausting, absolutely exhausting. Like I worked <laughs> seven days a week till 10.30 every night last year. Uh, it was It was a lot, so I don't know that I would be... Quite, uh, quite as much of a go-getter this year. I definitely have backed off a little bit, but it was, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool to be able to say, I'm going to do this thing and then really commit to doing it and then kind of seeing some of it like come to, come to fruition. And you, you have, I mean, we've already talked about it, at least a toddler. You've got a couple of kids, right? Relatively little kids. No, just the one, but he feels like a couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, have, I, have, I have a Jack Russell as well. I feel that. Yeah. And a Jack Russell. Yeah, that's, that's oh, I, thought, I thought you were saying your toddler was <laughs> the Jack Russell. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell. They're both like a blur, so they run around the house and I can't. Yeah, right. Which is which? Who knows? I mean, acknowledging that's a lot to manage. I've talked about this before and I've got two kids, nine and six. And uh, I mean, it's it's draining in in the best way possible because you're parenting and and leaving it all in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, But kudos for committing to the hustle. Um, That's amazing. I'm I'm curious, like what, what proportion of the like leading up to the year of uh, uh, get get out there like a man uh, was was agented versus <laughs> okay. that's a, a slightly odd, that's another that's a slightly odd turn of phrase <laughs> weird title yeah I'm... <laughs> we can replace the caravan thing with get yeah. out there like a man get out there we'll have stickers <laughs> if yeah. that business gets off the ground and the podcast and we we team up we could make stickers that's great i love that one <laughs> get out there like a man I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you can have like a little blank and you can just like insert your descriptor yeah. of choice <laughs> the, the question okay, that i sorry, meant to Josh. send that i distracted with my poor choice of words is how much of how much of the like the small press like the the editor relationships and things that you had built over those couple of years how much of that was agented versus unagented because you said you'd come and gone with agent relationships a couple of times and then also you know your relationships with editors in particular had led to like the chapter book series deal and and so on so, so I'm I'm nodding quite knowingly at the camera mm-hmm. <laughs> very at the camera um so I think in all of those years, I saw one book directly through the submission, agented submission approach. Um, and pretty much everything else was either something that I literally saw a call for on Twitter and auditioned for and put my hand up through for, <clears throat> or was a direct submission. Um, so I, I did have like an agent in my corner to help out with contracts when we got to the contract stage. Uh, thankfully, because mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I only have half a brain at the moment with the toddler and the Jack yeah. Russell and the day job and all of that. So <laughs> I need somebody smarter than me to work on that side of things. Um, but I think those relationships played a huge role, to be honest. Um, and I know it's very easy to mock Twitter because it is ah, Twitter. Um, <laughs> but I think it's been it's been really valuable for me helping to like grow relationships with people and connect with people. I'm obviously a foreigner. Uh, and come from a pretty small, but a fairly closely community, literary community back home. But when I moved here, knew nobody. Obviously, didn't go to school in New York or LA or anything. Or like the that. Bronx. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the Bronx. Shout out to Stephanie. Yeah, so I knew nobody, and I kind of lived in rural areas. Like I was in rural South Washington State, and now I'm in rural Tennessee. And so there kind of hasn't been an opportunity to like connect with people or get in front of people. So. As much as I hate to give 
Twitter some cred. Like, it's been really, really good for building those relationships. And now we have kind of the Discord thing going as well, and that's been great. Um, but, yeah, I think just all those years of – those years <laughs> refreshing my Twitter feed. Right. Um, just gradually, like, chatting with people and seeing what they acquire and the kind of writing styles that would appeal to people mm. and the projects and so on. Like, all of that stuff kind <clears> of <throat> over time and I, I am really fortunate to have a pretty solid working relationship with Familius uh, which is a small press they're based out of California and they've done a bunch of my picture books and I love them and couldn't recommend them more they're just wonderful um, so that has been really really great as well so okay <clears throat> so I have a couple couple of questions so mm-hmm. recently on discord there was a question posted about um agents and how they submit things or or if and when they will submit things for Mm -hmm. instance so for for people listening or just to orient so sometimes when you go to conferences or webinars or whatever you get submission opportunities right if you are agented there's a there's always a question about okay how do I submit to them do I submit my uh you know on my own behalf and then just you know copy my agent and let him know which is that that's my situation my agent is like yeah that's fine if you come across those and you want to submit go ahead um let me know you know loop me in or some agents um say no you know don't submit yourself everything should go through me um i will submit on your behalf and say you know you are at this conference you have this opportunity whatever um so based on based on that question or just just that premise and those differences of submission um how how was that for you were you agented at the time and was your agent like yeah totally like go and do you know go and submit 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 uh, or were you not agented or how did that work so I was agented at the time, um, but kind of did those independently. Uh, my agent checked over my submission because we had to like audition for a few projects. Mm. Uh, and they gave me the go-ahead and then kind of stepped aside and then came back in when it was contract stage and everything. Um, the, the conference thing is kind of interesting, um, and I think it would really depend on who you are, where you are in your career, and the kind of project you are trying to sell. Um, I think there are definitely situations where you're like, yes, this is the perfect person for this project, or I have, I would like to build like a lengthy career with this person and would like to build a relationship with them. And then it might make sense to kind of have that face-to-face connection. Um, and yeah, the beginning of, of that relationship with them, it might be a little bit different if you're going out with like a really hot property where you're expecting, you know, a 15 house auction and seven figure sale and all right. of that sort of stuff. Then you're, which none of my books will ever do that. Um, <laughs> and then your agent might have, you know, a different kind of strategy mm. there. So I think if you are in that situation, <laughs> I feel like whenever I say there's going to be people on Twitter saying that's terrible advice. Oh, gosh. Um, I did, Yeah, and I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just, just for conversation's sake, you know what I mean? Because there's yeah, so many yeah. different I, strategies. I think it your game plan. Yeah. Um, like, I think if you did have a really hot property, it might be better to definitely, I would definitely check with an agent if you're agented and just see what their insights are. Like, they might just say, hey, you're better off just chatting with an editor, mm-hmm. like using that chat with an editor versus like pitching a project um and then that way they can get to know you and what else you're working on as well um and you get a better sense of who they are um but it yeah it kind of depends like I personally would go for it um because <laughs> why not <laughs> right <clears throat> that's sort of that's sort of my my feeling as well um and I'm glad that my agent is sort of on board with that too mm-hmm. I mean 
you know, depend like you're saying, depending on the project. Um, yeah, like there are some there are some that I wouldn't just like throw out into the wind and you know just see what happens. But I like some of these conferences I signed up for, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like I have this submission opportunity. Awesome. So I remember talking to my agent and just being like, hey, like. Is this cool if I submit to these, or like, should I not do that? Should I send them through you? And he was like, No, that's you know, that's totally fine. Like, and most of the projects that I was submitting are things that he had already seen. We already had a pitch for, so it was basically just like, you know, me taking advantage of the opportunity and just sending it out, as opposed to like, you know, adding like a middleman, so to speak, and sending it through my agent, and then like in a roundabout way, which I I don't necessarily think one is not you know one is worse or one is better or or whatever I just I happen to be kind of a a like like anxious person about like get you know like I want to say yes to all the stuff just like what you're saying and so I'm like yeah if I have an opportunity like I don't want to just be like oh yeah opportunity like whatever like it's like who cares I like I want to be like yes like let me submit something because who knows that could be the yes you know so absolutely I'm also a highly anxious person. Right? I'm like, submit all the stuff. Like, yeah, like somebody will say yes. I mean, it's a numbers game, right? What a great business for both of you to be in. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of soul crushing. Like lack of communication. I'm like, it's the perfect industry for me. Yeah, so definitely not an impatient person. It's just, it's very great. Right, totally fine with like heaps of rejections. Like I I love them. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's great. I'm building like a paper mache out of house out of mine. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I think if there's an opportunity, like why not? It can't hurt. Um, yeah. I mean, as you like comporting yourself as like a professional, and you know, you're not sliding manuscripts under a bathroom door or anything like that. Yeah, for for sure. And I mean, yeah, like all of my stuff is vetted. It's not like it's not yeah. like I'm just sending stuff out. My agent hasn't seen it, and it's like you know, like a first draft or something. It's not. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. these are these are like strategized, like well thought out. People Pieces, it's just I have an opportunity and it's like yeah just go you know go ahead and send it and I guess on the on the flip side I understand also why agents are like no you know I would like everything to go through me because then they have a handle on you know what's going out what was said you know they're in the loop they're you know whatever like I I get that too so well no, absolutely I, yeah so I, I think oh sorry. well I was just gonna say I mean not I, to not to be too sort of labely about it, but that, I mean, going back to this notion of agents as, um, as gatekeepers there, this is more a function of an agent being a, a, a like a collaborator than anything like, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, go through me because I've got the relationships and I know how to sort of grease these wheels. But again, Steph, to your point, like if you're comporting yourself like a professional, you know what you're doing and you've got it vetted, why not put the trust in you? I mean, it's doing part of the agent's work, but it's also, you know, it's, it, it's empowering you to get out there and spread your voice around. And also, I mean, at the end of the day, it's your, it's your work and it's your, it's your writing, right? Like your, um, inner, you know, your intellectual property. And so if you want to submit it, I feel like you should be able to submit it. Not that there are agents out there being like, no, you can't submit stuff. It's just, it's, it's a different sort of like avenue, I guess, to explore. So. Absolutely. I think like with probably like the caveat that if you're already on submission and you might be submitting to like a competing imprint or something like that, like assuming there's nothing like that going on, which is why it's a good idea to talk with your agent if you are in that situation. Totally. I, I completely agree. Totally. Yeah. Like definitely like strategize first. You don't, Yeah, exactly. Like a competing house or something that you feel like is like definitely going to sell and you want to make sure that it's going, you know, to these to these houses that you want it to sell at, not just like, you know, anybody out there. Yeah. I, 
yeah, to your point, like it's worth it's worth considering and definitely talking to your agent about it so everybody is on the same page. But whether or not you submit it or the agent submits it um, is again like you know down to sort of like your personal choice and I guess what you want for the project. Exactly. Like if it's a collaborative relationship, yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing because <clears> I think. It's very easy, I think, particularly in recent years to see the kind of publishing pathway as like, write a book, query the book, get the agent, pitch the book, right. get the book contract, and it feels like very linear. Um, but like maybe it's part of being like an Aussie and it's like a much smaller literary scene and there are literary agents, but a lot of houses are open mm. uh, to authors submitting. It's obviously a much smaller pool of authors as well, so that's a bit more manageable. And it's also smaller there's more access in a sense that you can go to like publishing drinks and like chat with people and or publishing coffee or what you know whatever um so there are kind of different ways in and so I guess I was sort of looking at well what are the different opportunities to get my foot in the door that aren't necessarily that kind of linear pathway that kind of hasn't really worked for me um and I think part, part of that is because I have this I have a very non-American <laughs> writing style and approach uh, that doesn't necessarily gel and I'm with editors here uh, and it's it's kind of been a really interesting thing because I'm kind of like in this midway place where like I've lived in the US for 10 years but I'm not American but like I'm not Australian so I'm just like this little alien floating around. Um, You're just Steph Campisi from Tennessee. From, exactly, <laughs> from, from the Bronx or from wherever. Yeah, this like, is my Tennessee <laughs> accent, can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the deep south, actually, but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah. So I think I think my my idea was like, well, there are there are lots of other ways in, and like if you have a relationship or you have um, something that you can offer somebody, like why not use that? And I think there was a point where I just looked at like my copywriting portfolio, and I was like, oh man, I've worked on some really cool stuff, like some nationwide ad campaigns with like famous properties that you know you probably watched on tv or whatever and you're like oh I've, I've done this like I can do this um so I, I think I got to a point where like between my writing and my copywriting that I was like well I'm not like a beginner anymore I think I'm at a point where I can take this to the next step and you know I, I've written full-time as a copywriter for like 15 years now so th I think there was a point where I was like oh I am a professional mm. um and it was just sort of weird. Like I did hit a point where I was like, oh, I have this confidence in my skills. And like, even if my books aren't necessarily selling, like I know that they're, they're good enough to, they're good enough to get an agent. They're good enough to go on submission. Um, like, I, I think I hit a point where I had like a confidence in my writing and I was like, okay, I've just got to find my way to get the foot in the door and then into the next door. Cause there are lots of doors. <laughs> <laughs> you get through the first door and there's just like a kingdom of doors. Yeah, right. There's just so many. Yeah. Oh, and the only problem is like, doors. which one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Steel, steel capped boots like to get through those doors. <laughs> this, this reminds me, I, th I can't remember whether it was Twitter or our Discord, but the exchange that we had around bringing himbo energy to... Um, to publishing, which, you know, n un understand, I don't, it's not pure himbo. It's like, understand how to unlock the door or at least, you know, knock on it properly. Uh, but that's, I mean, I, I really like that point. And we've talked about this endlessly. And I, I always talk about how I don't, I don't talk about my day job that much, I guess, in specific terms, <laughs> except I do. Um, he mentions I mean, I, it every podcast. Yeah, I'm say. yeah because 
I mean, an amazing day. Lord, now I hope that it's not obnoxious how much I talk about my day job. No, no, I'm just teasing you because you always you always say, "Well, I don't talk about my day job that much," but that's but how do. you always open the but sentence. I, do. I don't talk about them in a way no. that like they would get tagged Go in a ahead. thread. But like, but but yeah. I, I like I like your point. Like you, okay. Well, maybe maybe pure if you think only or if i think only about the way that i write picture books i'm not going to feel particularly confident because i don't have an agent i don't have anything published i've gotten things you know critiques and taken to a done state but you know not, I've, i haven't seen anything through but i mean heck yes like you i've written things that appear on you know uh ad campaigns nationally internationally and i work for a you know global multinational corporation um that's that's not nothing. That's that's something that should fuel your your confidence in yourself to say, you know, I can write to spec. I can write to um, you know specific requirements and be sensitive to my audience and deadlines. And, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, make deadlines, exactly. et cetera. Yep. Also, also to your point, like I um, I was speaking with Ebony um, a little bit ago, and her something that she said like sort of like blew my mind a little bit like it's just it's just a mind shift right like a shift like just shifting your perspective a little and realizing that you like if you're confident in your work and you believe in it and you think it can go out and you're thinking about it in you know terms of like it actually being a book and how to market it and what it will look like at a book launch and what kids will do with it when they have it in their hands right if you have that long-term vision and you are committed to it and you know that it's that it's good and you believe in yourself like just that i feel like can switch your whole your whole mental perspective in terms of like i can do this like i am doing this this is this is happening like i spend you know, X amount of hours a day thinking about writing, actually writing, you know, saying yes, opening the doors, like doing all the stuff, right? Like you are, you are a writer, you are doing those things and you, you can do it. You are doing it. So just, just that tiny like shift in your mindset, I feel like can be so, um, just like rewarding. It can just, it can really open up a lot. Absolutely. I love that, that I am doing this because I see so many people and they're putting so much effort into their craft. They're doing all the right things and like they're on their path and they will get there as long as they continue doing what they're doing. Um, it's just, it's a very slow industry and it's not a linear industry uh, and there, there are different ways in, but yeah, exactly. You are a writer because you are writing and you're creating and you're doing all the things that you need to do. And I think, yeah, when you, when you shift to that and you see yourself as like an author or a creative professional in you know, whatever writing adjacent field you, you know, you want to break into versus the please pick me that kind of approach totally. that almost feels like somebody's doing you a favor right. versus like, Hey, here is my thing. Um, this is a good book and people want to buy it because uh, people do buy books or films or music yeah. or whatever or they used to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that work is like the back, the backbone of the industry. Uh, like the, the industry wouldn't exist without it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really easy for people to see that like publishing, yeah, is doing them a favor that they've like picked them and they've made a dream come true. But it's like, no, they've made like a calculated business decision yeah. that like this book is this, it will reach this audience, it will sell this many units, it will like provide this many jobs or whatever. And like they are making like a financial decision based on your work or you as an individual or whatever, or that whole package. It's not just like you're, you know, drawn out of like a lottery and they're like, yes, you get to have a book. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like get rid of that, like 
that sort of like feeling or that motivation that comes from desperation, right? Like, like you were saying, like the pick me, pick me. Cause I feel like only bad decisions come from being, you know, from feeling desperate. And I'm not, I'm not at all being judgmental about that. I've made several decisions for my own, for my own writing based on pure desperation, you know, and like, like, please pick me, like, please, you know, like do me this favor. And it's, no, you're, you're totally right. Like, this is not a favor. It is, your work is good and it's, you know, speaking for itself and it's doing what it should be doing. And so you don't, it's, you're not, they're not doing you the favor. You're the one who is, you know, creating the product that is going to be sold. So, hey, let's take a break for some mid-episode reviews and shout-outs. It is Maddie Frost review theme week on the podcast. My review is for Wombats Go Camping, Maddie's first foray into early reader graphic novels in the veins of, or in the vein of, Narwhal and Jelly and a number of others. Unlike the first Narwhal and Jelly, though, the characters in Wombats spring fully formed from Maddie's brain and onto the page, taking a note from episodic cartoons that rely on familiarity and reread or rewatchability, in addition to the pension of kids to pay little attention to series publication order this book is a study in humor and pacing and kudos in particular to the middle right panel of page 27 which is my favorite he's gonna bite pickles's butt and you'll have to go read it if you want to understand more context of what i'm referring to brenna's preview for this week is for wombats go to wizard's wharf which is out in february of this year 2024 which brenna and i have gotten a sneak peek at Wizard's Wharf is the follow-up to Wombats Go Camping and features Pickles cashing in on an IOU to Albert from four years ago. Pickles wants to go to, you guessed it, Wizard's Wharf, and even though it's not Albert's idea of a good time, he goes along with it. Best friends with opposite personalities, a magical setting, and ridiculous antics make this graphic novel a perfect bridge, and actually the one before it as well, uh, perfect bridges for those readers graduating from picture books and adults will love them too because they're hilarious with lots of toot onomatopoeias sadly there are only two wombats books so far so john has the fortunate job of picking another doozy of a frost original to review john's review this week is maddie's capybara is friends with everyone which i also love uh, which is also a clever tale that follows the world's friendliest animal a capybara in his attempts to be as friendly and helpful as possible to all of his 4,382 friends and counting. The story has bright and quirky illustrations as expected from a Maddie Frost book and covers lots of important SEL themes such as friendship, self-worth, and developing a better understanding of boundaries. It also cleverly highlights that while helping friends is always wonderful, one doesn't need to exhaust oneself in order to be or feel appreciated. Just being your wonderful self is always more than enough. One final note before we move on from reviews, it is my personal headcanon that Versi, our podcast mascot, who uh, was conceptualized and illustrated by Maddie herself, exists within the Wombats universe. So um, if I'm not podcasting, you'll see me over uh, over on the side uh, writing some fan fiction, inserting our little podcast mascot into his own Pickles and Albert adventure. And now on to a couple of shout outs for the week. So uh, it is uh, it is our friend of the podcast, Stina Hernandez's uh, theme week for shout outs this week. So uh, she's got a couple of things to offer. Shout out to Stina's wonderful critique partner, Jessica Milo, who I also happen to think 
think is wonderful, who recently signed with agent Wendy Gu at Greenberger Kids. Uh, Stina says, I'm so excited for you. Congratulations, my friend. Congratulations, Jess. And to her CP and fabulous friend Jenna Johnson on her recent debut book deal announcement. Uh, Stina says, so proud of you and can't wait for your book to be in the world. And finally, a huge shout out to this amazing, oh my, a huge shout out to this amazing podcast for featuring brilliant kidlit creators and for bringing so much light and joy to the writing community. Thank you for all the fun, says Stina, and thank you to the entire kidlit community for embracing what we're doing here. And thank you in particular to Stina for offering words of support to your fellow creators. If you have any shout outs uh, that you would like to put in, please feel free to visit our Linktree, linktree.com slash or linkter.ee slash verse show to find where you can help support the podcast by, um, by sponsoring a shout out on the show. And one final edit in for me to mention something that I've never actually had to mention on this podcast before, which is, whoa, we've got a Patreon now. Uh, we just surprise soft launched this um, a couple of days ago as of publication to this episode, and we would love it if you would go and give our budding, fledgling little page a gander if you have a moment. Uh, you can find that on our link tree as well. Um, we are Verse Show on Patreon. And now, finally, back to Steph's verse. Thanks, y'all. I was going to say, I love that notion about like making bad decisions based on... Uh, desperation because but I think yeah we've all made those decisions and like they can be a learning experience where you go well at least now I won't do that again or maybe I can warn other people not to do that same thing um but absolutely and yeah personally like I know that if so I'm unagented at the moment and I haven't been querying um if I do I'm I will be very selective. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I will approach it in a very different way now from how I have in the past because you're right I, I kind of made similar decisions like throughout my career where I was like, oh, this is right here in front of me. I have this opportunity and you leap at it because you're so, you really want this to happen for yourself because you've worked so hard for so long uh, and you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily making the right decision mm. or it might be the right decision in the short term, but not in the long term. Uh, and I think there is a point where you do need to start thinking about your career like, as a lifelong thing, not in like little bursts or not as book by book. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so hard to turn stuff down when to. someone finally yeah. says yes. Yeah, you're like, really? Yeah. Like, you're going to say no now? Like, what? Yeah, right. right. But yeah, absolutely. yeah, say no. You have the power to say no. How? Absolutely. Yeah. How, how do you, I want to pull this apart because I mean, I've got a vested interest in thinking about my own writing career this way, but it applies to a lot of other people as well who may just take the shotgun approach to cold querying as many people mm -hmm. as possible. It is an approach that works for a lot of people, but how do you get to be selective like what how do you how do you think when you get back to that that state that you'll go about figuring out who to try and engage in this relationship with absolutely i mean i'm, I'm working from the assumption that i get to be selective <laughs> i mean you do right that's the whole mindset shift right like you do stuff exactly. you do <laughs> so i i feel like at this point it would be if i didn't have an offer from somebody that I think would be the right fit, I would walk away versus accepting an offer because it's there. Um, whereas I think earlier in my career, I'd be like, yes, anyone, mm -hmm. I'll take anyone. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right. um, um, and I think that's a great question, particularly given there's obviously been a lot of capital D discourse going around. Mm. Uh, and the Whisper Networks are kind of going and I've 
personally been getting a lot of direct messages and things from people who are you know not having a great time at the moment mm. um and i think you know publishing is in flux at the moment everybody's so overworked things are changing a lot and have been since covid um and just you know late stage capitalism is great <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's a matter of i think there's this sense that we look for the rock star perfect fit best agent when you i think you might have a notion of what that might be based on things that maybe not uh, maybe aren't the best fit for you personally um so hang on let me try to phrase this in a full sentence instead of just <laughs> 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 i really had two coffees that's not enough for me um i do have some freshly roasted stuff here on the cabinet that i'm going to get into in a minute um so i think it's obviously a matter of who, wor- who works in my genre and who i respect and has sold books to publishers that I've heard of recently uh, and sells books that I like. Do they work in the style that I want? Do I want somebody who is editorial or not, you know, who is just like a sales pro? Um, What kind of communication do I want? Uh, And for me, I think a big thing is like, I've kind of chatted to a few people about their experiences. I think I might, would probably go the referral route this time. Um, Talk to my friends who have agents that they're happy with. Uh, and I think at this point say, hey, I have this project, would they be interested in taking a look at it? Um, I think getting the perspectives of people, yeah, who you trust and respect as well, I think is really important. Um, you know, you might, because there, there are some agents who are great for certain clients, but might not be an, a good fit for other clients. Um, or just, you know, you have different communication styles or whatever. And, you know, typically when an agent offers to sign with you, you'll get your two weeks to kind of like do your due diligence and like check with other agents. And they'll usually say, hey, chat to, you know, my two clients and, you know, see how they feel. But you're not getting the full picture because they're going to give you the clients that like love working with them and are having a great time. You're not necessarily going to see the perspective of the clients that are no longer with them or who have moved on um, or maybe who aren't having a great time. And obviously that experience kind of varies very dramatically depending on the, on the uh, relationship. Um, so like somebody who's a rock star agent for one author might not be a great fit for another. So those whisper networks um, make it sound like there's this like anthill of like publishing. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all like sharing trade secrets. It's kind of not. Spraying like pheromones at each now- other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That makes the mission more easy. Mm. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, but uh, but I think I think that's a good way to go. Just like talk to people about their experiences with their current agent, and then see if that kind of gels with what you're looking for. Because I think it's such a personal thing, and it is kind of like getting married on the first date. Mm. Like you know, somebody's like, "I love your book, let's go," and then you're signing this contract. Also, really read your contract that if you get a contract from your agent to sign. Um, and you're leaping into this thing and it might be that, you know, if it doesn't work out, you might still be attached to them for like a year or indefinitely if they sell a book with you. Um, so getting it right matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've used the marriage uh, analogy in other conversations and I think it's, I think it's a really important one. Uh, when, when you're taking the approach of I'm going to cold query someone, they, um, I'm an, I'm in query manager. Yes. They, they're open and they rep picture books. Um, that's very much getting married after the, the blind date. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're describing is more like we live in a, uh, we, we live in a polyamorous society, a polyamorous <laughs> publishing society. I can talk to <laughs> this, uh, this potential spouse's many other, uh, 
you know, wives or husbands or whatever, <laughs> just to see what their experience has been like. I think it's really important to work, work your relationships, work your network and build, uh, build friendships. I mean, your own work will strengthen from that experience it not to write to an agent's spec necessarily but um, mm. it, it's really going to get a lot stronger and you're going to understand the sensibilities of um of agents and editors without sort of operating in a vacuum absolutely oh those writing communities are so important i think when i when i got started it was like browsing forums back in the olden days um, when forums were a thing but like even then like that was so valuable and like now being able to chat with like you know people various stages of their careers um and who have vastly different different experiences of publishing like some are you know new york times bestsellers and some have like a really cool like small press thing that you know they've worked like very collaboratively on like hugely different experiences and like all of those perspectives mm -hmm. are so important and i think everyone the writing community is great i think because we're all suffering together so totally. there's definitely a sense of people like trying to lift each other up and like cheering each other on because like we know how much work is involved and it's like what you see out in the world is like the tip of the iceberg mm. like there's like a titanic crashing iceberg <laughs> like everyone you know like we've all worked so hard for so long um and so yeah those communities are, i think are so valuable like whether it's like on Twitter, just very selectively use mute block Twitter lists. That's how I do it. So I don't go wild and just lose my mind. Um, mm -hmm. And Discord's been really great for that as well. And even just like little email groups or like people you catch up with in person. Like I don't really have that luxury because I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, but whatever kind of works for you, I think, yeah, if you can have those like writer buddies, it really, really helps. And I want to just, it's, I have one more Ebony quote because I just, she, I feel like she knows the industry so well and she just, chatting with her was so just helpful and beneficial and just sort of blew my mind. And the other thing that comes to mind is she was like, you have to be willing to say no. Like, are you prepared to turn down an offer on this book if it's not, you know, working with the, the editor or the publisher or whoever that you think is going to be the best fit? And when she asked me that, because I, so I want a critique from her. Mm -hmm. which is how I was able, how I had all these chats with her. Um, and she was like, look, if you're, you know, like, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to say no? If somebody offers on this today, like, would you say no? And I, I was like genuinely shocked and a little bit stunned for a minute. Cause I was like, I mean, who says no? Like, right? Like what? Like what? And then she, you know, she elaborated and I was like, no, you're a hundred percent right. Like I have to be, I have to be in a place where I think that my work, that I believe in it you know, so much. And I think that my work is, you know, so valuable that yes, I am willing to turn down an offer in its favor because I, you know, because I don't think this is the right one. And so I think that, you know, getting to a place like that is also really helpful in, in sort of like arming yourself when you go into the query trenches, right. Or you're, you know, sending stuff out to anybody. You have to just, you have to just be in a good place with your work and not be willing to like, you know, take every single critique or, you know, say yes to whoever offers on your book, even if you don't think it's a good, a good fit. So. Absolutely. I think that's also good for like the writing community as a whole. Uh, I know we were on, on the discord chat. There was a, somebody who had, I think tentatively received an offer as an author illustrator. And they were saying, what is the lowest amount that I should be able to take? Uh, and it was basically like, well, how much money do you need to live on for the next six months? Uh, right. And if you can't eat, if you can't, if you're turning down other work or you can't feed yourself, like you're going to have to say no to the offer because you're doing yourself a disservice. And I think that if enough people start to say no to terms like that, it benefits all of us. Agreed. Um, yeah. 
drives up costs, obviously, like we get paid more. And I think coming from like the copywriting side of things where I do just say no to bad client work now, like I'm in a position there, there where I can be like, I'm not working for that or I'm not doing that project, I can say no. Um, whereas people taking on those projects at a very low rate or very poor terms kind of end up undercutting everybody else. Like they're not just doing themselves a disservice, mm. they're saying, okay, this is actually what you can get away with paying for this work. Um, whereas I think if you come at it saying, well, this is my value, this is what I bring to the table, it's kind of good for everybody. Mm. Like we can start to drive things up. Um, don't know that we're all there yet, but I, I think they're kind of important conversations to have. And I know everybody kind of tiptoes around money in publishing because it's kind of not the done thing. Um, but I feel like 99% of the conversations I have are about money. Totally. <laughs> I mean, it's, totally the biggest, yeah. it's the biggest mystery. It is. It is. Really and it's so variable because, yeah, because I feel like because nobody talks about it, nobody knows what to expect or what to ask for or that you can ask for, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or maybe you can't ask for for that from this publisher because, you know, their budget only goes to here. So mm -hmm. if you're willing to take that and you can take their, you know, their ceiling offer like that's fine otherwise you know you need to be able to say no and move on to someone who can pay you like these are just these are all things that you I feel like you only find out like the longer that you're in it and I just wanted to say one other thing about saying no publishers say no all the time right editors say no all the time why can't we say no like I right like I'm I'm I want to say yes I do but I feel like taking back that power and being able to say no on my behalf is like a little bit of a it just, it's really empowering to be like, no, like, I don't want your crappy offer. You know, like, I deserve more and I should be paid more for the work that I put into this, right? You're not like, putting any, anybody mean, on blast to be. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no offense to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything specific. It's just, it's just, you know, like, it's, it's not fair that they're the only ones who get to say no. Like, this is my work. I should be able to say no, right? And I, I, that, that is, that is my right and it's within my power and it's, it, it should be more easily more easy for us to to say mm -hmm. no and that we're not gonna i smell a kid lit writers guild of america so. brewing so, oh that would be amazing i keep saying we need a union oh boy i'm a member of the authors guild but yes right definitely. right yeah but but i also think like saying no there, there will come a point because like you know i have quite a big year ahead of me next year and there is a point where it's like, there comes a point in your career where it's like, well, you are going to have to say no to some things because you have so many projects on the go that it's like, well, it has to be worth my time. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I'm already, I think I have another couple of books due this year. And then once I'm in edits and promoting things, and then it's like, well, part of the reason I haven't queried is because I'm still working on contracted stuff. So I don't necessarily have new things. Um, because I've been like working on those deadlines for the past like year or two. Yeah. So it's kind of like a really interesting thing of like, well, I'm like booked up for the next like two, maybe three years with like marketing and sales and promotion and edits and all of that sort of stuff. So that if something comes through and it's going to be like a year of work for me, it has to kind of be worth it. Um, and it definitely depends on the type of book and the type of creative that you are. Like some are more time consuming than others or require more work than others. Um, more of your time versus rather not more of your work. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely something to consider. Like, do I want to write 10 novels a year for $5,000 each? Probably not. You know, um, right. some people can kind of do that. Like they, they, they write really fast and maybe they're self-publishers and need to kind of work on that kind of production schedule. But for a lot of people, that's not doable. 
Um, so like it's definitely, it definitely becomes like a time where you're like making those decisions about, well, do I need to turn this down so I can work on this other project or do I work really hard for a year and then take a few years off? Uh, it kind of depends on what works for you. Um, but yeah, saying no, it's a very good skill to have. I feel like we learn it really late in life. Yeah. Too. Totally. Like I'm only just starting to be able to say no. And I'm like, man, I'm getting old now. I've got gray hair. Um, but, but I can say it. Two letter word and I can say yeah. it. Yes. I, I, so I'm going to ask a question that, that has been answered for the past 10 minutes, but it, but bears sort of <laughs> emphasizing, you know, as, as a person who um, has manuscripts that I would love to have published, my my nebulous goal is get a book published. And so what I'm, I guess what I'm interested in for both of you, I mean, Brenna, you've, you've got a deal that you've made and Steph, you've, you've got a super busy year that's coming up is this notion of setting yourself measurable goals, specific measurable goals as a writer, how like myself, who is, is on the journey toward publication, what is it that I would say no to? And I, I think that you're, you're pulling that apart in terms of like what 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 commitment is this going to require of me what is it going to take away from my life what is it going to add to my or what does it need to add to my life in term in in the context of you know the complication that it's going to um, require it's not just i want to get a book published because it's so much more complicated than that I'll rephrase my observation and say like, do you, do you, do either of you, I'm going to interview both of you now. Do you, either of you <laughs> set those specific goals for yourself? Do you know going into a project or a query or a submission or whatever, you know, what your threshold is or what your capacity is? Yeah, I'm definitely starting to get to that point now. Uh, Cause I work from like picture books all the way through to middle grade. Uh, and I'm working on some screenplays as well, because why not? <laughs> so, so cool. So I have to be, and obviously I still, I'm cutting back on my client work, but that's still, well, pays probably 50% of the bills at this stage. Um, so I just have to be mindful of that as well. Like I can't get to a point where I'm just turning down client work because like all of my client works, I have a few consistent clients. So if I start saying no to them all the time, then my bread and butter has gone as well. So that's also a factor. Um, I think like for you with like the, the notion of having a book published, you know, they say it's you know better to be published well than just, just to be published. But I think it depends on what that means for you. Um, so like I have a ton of small press books out that up front, like I you know, didn't receive large advances for them or anything, but the books are absolutely beautiful. They're in bookshops, they're in libraries, they've been translated, um, they're kind of in different formats, they've been animated and things like that as well. And over the years, they've actually like, I mean, they're not making like life-changing money, but like they're doing pretty well for like a small press book. Um, and so I would consider those to be published well, even though they're not necessarily like New York Times number one bestseller, like all in all the Scholastic Book Club or whatever. Um, but I think it depends on like what your goals are. And then do you want your books to be your career? Because some people don't. Some people are like, you know, I'd like to do a picture book every couple of years and it's a thing that I love to do, but it will always be like a thing that I do on the side. Um, because when it becomes your career, like your full-time job, it's kind of the, the, the questions start to become very different because the hustle say is yes and no to very different things. So right, think, right. Exactly. Yeah. The hustle is real. Like the hustle is, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I'm always driving around everywhere, flogging my books and like <laughs> <laughs> throwing them out, like 
basically, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've most weekends and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it gets really busy really quickly. Um, so I guess it depends on like, yeah, your, your goals as a creator as well. Like if you want it to be a full-time thing, then that's something to think about. You probably don't need to think about that. I mean, you might hit the jackpot, but you probably don't need to think about that too much until like a couple of books in. Um, but it starts to get really busy, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so Can, I guess it's a personal I want to, I want to anchor on, onto this point that you're making with a recent, a relatively recent example. I mean, I don't know if it'll be recent as of time, time of publishing, but we'll, we'll reference it anyway. I mean, Lewis and Tabitha has been published, has been out in the world for years now. And you've, you recently observed mm-hmm. like that the publisher sold the foreign rights to a couple of different countries, which is fascinating mm-hmm. to me i mean but that that's very that exciting. to me that to me um is an example of uh, you know this what was a relatively small boutique publisher really backing your work and continuing to work on it years after the uh, after the deal was done is that something that you knew and expected going into the deal that it would be published well to that extent Maybe not to that extent. Like I knew that, so at the, at the time, Familius were relatively new. Uh, I knew that they did beautiful books and they'd had a few uh, New York Times bestsellers made for me, which has just sold and sold and sold. It's incredible. It's everywhere. Um, when I received Lewis and Tabitha, I was blown away by how beautiful it is. It is absolutely gorgeous. You know, the jacket's got spot gloss and foiling and the illustrations are by Holly Menger, who's a pretty well-known Disney artist and has done, she's done the Sparkleton books lots of other things she's wonderful um i was i kind of had high expectations but i was blown away with what a good job they did uh one of the big focuses at familius is the backlist so instead of throwing a few titles at the wall every three months or whatever and hoping that some of them sell they really really focus on continuing to sell their backlist and i think that's definitely what we've seen with the foreign rights there so every year uh drop cap which is a foreign rights agency they work with. They go to all the major festivals around the world and they're constantly like bringing out those backlist titles. So they do continue to sell. Um, so yeah, I was kind of surprised because I didn't actually know about the foreign rights sale until like the Spanish publisher tagged me and I was like, this is cool. <laughs> this is great. But yeah, so it's on books as well. And I just saw today that it's uh, in Spanish now on books. They've, books has a Spanish edition. Uh, I don't know if, if you don't know what books is, they basically do animated versions of picture books. So they still have the text. They still have the narration, but they have a soundtrack uh, and then the animations move. They're absolutely beautiful. Um, so, so fun. I was really stoked to see that. Yeah. It's really cool. It's, it's really, so it's de- definitely like their long-term focus has been like, has been wonderful for me. So I know Quacks came out last year, end of last year, but I know that even in like five years, like it will still be getting the push that I'm really glad it's, it's had. So it's, it's really nice to know that your books just haven't been, put out there and somebody hopes that they work. And then if they don't, that's the end of them. Oh, actually I can, I do have one book. I won't say what it is. I won't say it, won't name the publisher. Redacted. <laughs> so I did have one book um, that it was kind of a rip from the headlines kind of book. Um, and I thought it did really well. It got really good reviews um, and it came out, I'm kind of giving myself away. It came out just before COVID. Um, and I thought it had done pretty well. Um, cause it, when I would take it to events, it would just like sell and sell and sell and it sold to its print run. Um, so I was like, this is great. Um, but during COVID it received too many returns from bookstores because obviously bookstores were closed. So returns were a thing oh. and that was the end of the book. So it's now out of print. Uh, and I found out when I went to order more copies of the book, 
for a school visit. Um, and they were like, I'm, we're sorry, we only have, you know, five copies left and then that's, we're not reprinting it. Um, and it was just one of those moments of like, oh, wow, it's just, it's, so this was a different publisher and it was just like such a different business model of like, if it right out of the gate isn't, you know, a huge bestseller, we're, we're going to pull back on the marketing. Whereas I think Familius is very much like, slow burn like it's mm-hmm. hey it's great if it's a new york times bestseller but they will just keep investing in those books for years to come so it's definitely two very different experiences mm-hmm. can you stuff just real quick so can we back up to the foreign rights part so mm-hmm. because i think so even i i have a like a very like minimal understanding of foreign rights um do I do yeah. yeah well so <laughs> so i guess my my question is like i i understand what foreign rights are but i am fuzzy on where the department sort of lies or like whose mm-hmm. jurisdiction that's in so for instance with familia so they have a foreign rights department correct mm-hmm. so so they have an agency that they work an with. agency that they work with okay so when so so i don't know if this is hypothetical or not so when you sold your book to them if you were unagented, so mm-hmm. does Familius, the publication, take care of the foreign rights on your behalf? Or alternately, if you were agented, does the agent take care of that at the agency? Like, do, do so, you know how that works? So it's one of those, it depends <laughs> questions. So yeah. it depends on, so with Lewis and Tabitha, I sold world rights to Familius. So they then have the responsibility to sell into different territories. And then I'll get a cut of that when that happens. If I were to sell, say, North American English language rights to Familius, um, and then I retain all of the other rights, then I or my agent would be the ones responsible for selling it into different territories. So it kind of depends on the rights. It, well, it does depend on the rights that were sold at the time. Um, some publishers are like very aggressive about selling those foreign rights. It sometimes depends on how successful a book has been. You know, will they make the effort for a book that's kind of performed middlingly well? Um, whereas you'll often see, you've probably seen the ones in Publishers Weekly or whatever, where it's like North American rights and also, and they list like 50 different countries that the rights mm-hmm. are sold Yeah, to. right. So or world like, rights belong to please. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I've seen that. I'm familiar with the verbiage, but I'm, but I'm like, well, what does that actually mean? So, it's, so it depends. So sometimes... Because picture books, you have the author component and the illustrator component, usually sometimes the author and the illustrator are the same, um, or sometimes the illustration might be owned by the publishing house if they do it all in-house, kind of depends. Um, often you'll, you'll end up selling world rights just because with the illustrator component, it kind of gets complicated to sell foreign rights because you would need to loop in their agent because they still have the rights the illustration rights to the foreign languages. So often you would sell world rights to a publisher uh, if it's a picture book, but not always. And I'm not a lawyer and I am not an agent. So I might be totally wrong. But that has been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I didn't, I, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot with like, this is what you should do. I just, I was curious because, you know, because Familias had sold uh, the Spanish rights. And so I was just, yeah, just wondering, you know, about what you know keeping it in-house for the agency or having the publisher have the rights but either way yeah so that that sheds some light on foreign rights so thanks (laughs) it's kind of been interesting so yeah so italian and spanish rights sold there to the same house i think which is kind of interesting um but so we retain things like film rights and all of that sort of stuff but books so they they're like an animated version of a book but they have their own separate rights class so oh. it doesn't count as film rights or tv rights or anything Interesting. i don't even know what it is it's like they they have their own like separate rights carved out 
So that was like a separate thing that I guess the publisher still retained because I didn't have it down in my contract as this type of right because I didn't know it existed. <laughs> so I didn't retain the right to that, the publisher owned that one. So it was kind of like an interesting, it was an interesting thing. Um, yeah, it gets very complicated and there are so many different rights that like when you dig into a contract, you're like amusement park rights. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. Like I'd, I'd like some of those. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and obviously like typically it's in your interest to like retain as many rights as you can and therefore you can go out and sell them because generally like say your agent would be typically more aggressive about like selling the rights versus like a publisher who may or may not have an incentive to sell them based on the performance of your book um but it depends it kind of depends on the house it depends on their publishing model probably depends on like their reach and the kind of book that you've written um so it's it's kind of one of those really hard industries because it always it's like it depends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Because if you yeah. sell a book and you're unagented also, right, you don't really have, I mean, I guess I could keep my rights and try to sell them, but like, I don't know how to do that. Right. So it yeah. would, yeah. so yeah. it yeah. seems yeah. like, you know, at least if the publishing house has an agency that they work with and it is possible to have the rights sold, like, okay, but you know, exactly. So, yeah, it so sounds to be a less of a headache. Like, but yeah, you, I mean, you could potentially go out and sell like Turkish rights or whatever. Like you could, you could yeah. do or it. Or your amusement yeah. park rights. <laughs> Yeah. Or amusement park rights. I, I, That's my I, goal. I love amusement that. Rights. I love I love the reality of amusement park rights. Six flags That's here I come. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. Like the, the contracts get so interesting because I have a, a contract that I'm, a, I'm I think is coming through next week and it's going to be me doing it maybe with some help from the Authors Guild. So it's going it's to be interesting to see. Um, it's with a different press I haven't worked with before, but it'll be interesting to see like whether they like how similar their contract is to other one, other publishers I've worked with or mm. whether I need to you know get some external representation um yeah so it's, it's going to be interesting so but, uh, yes I will be a lawyer for a while. yeah yes. <laughs> do it like, like a man it. stuff do it like That's a man right. I'll put on my like Jimmy McGill suit and uh, yeah <laughs> oh Jimmy McGill I'm so excited for that new season oh, we haven't we started was- it yet we finished it last night. <gasps> oh, don't. Okay. Because, no spoilers. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. <laughs> We're talking about Better Call Saul. Oh, yes, I was going to yes. say, I have no idea. <laughs> it's a great children's book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Jimmy McGill, <laughs> you know. It's a children's book about a corrupt <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> yeah, right. There's an amusement park coming out next year, Josh. Didn't you hear? Mm. <laughs> Rights were sold. Yeah. That would make a great amusement park, right? Yeah. yeah. I, think I'm still on, I think I'm still on uh, season five of Breaking Bad, so... Oh well, my gosh! You didn't like you didn't like tear through that. Oh no. my gosh! Wow. Breaking Bad is so good. Yeah, I think Better Call Saul is better. Oh my gosh! It's it's so good. Managed. It's so good. I'm I'm always five years behind on anything. I was just catching up on like pandemic era TV the other day where like they just start to mention like masks and they you, you realize that the actors in the scene go from like 20 people in a scene to like two people in a room <laughs> and you're like I was like oh wow such is life they don't, they don't like, breathe on each other yeah 
Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's I'm I'm always really behind on like any media or it's just it's so difficult juggling. It's because you're like I sat down the other day. You're too busy you know, book, con- and uh, contracts and selling foreign rights. Oh yeah, yeah, and selling books. <laughs> I mean, there, there seriously is a point where it's like okay, I'll write in the morning and then I have to do my day job stuff and then finally get my toddler down to bed and then I have to write and you're like, well, it's it's really hard because obviously you do need to be reading a ton. Um, not even just to be a writer, but because it's the best hobby in the world. Um, but it's so hard to stay on top of like everything that's coming out, particularly if you read across like multiple genres yeah. and categories. And it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm like, have you discovered this little known book that, yeah, it was like a, a bestseller in like 1949 or something. Like that's how far, far behind right, I am. You're like, no, like, what is this? Yeah, like, yeah. And it's, so it's kind of interesting to be like, oh, these all these books have just gone out and I just had no idea. And, and particularly like pandemic era books, there was a thread recently on Twitter where they were like, hey, here are all these great books that came out in 2020. And so many of them looked amazing and I hadn't heard of any of them. Mm. And it was just, I think it's just so easy for things to get lost at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're trying, we're trying to buy it all and read it all and borrow it all and (laughs) it's a lot it's all a lot well we're we're like Mm -hmm. up and over the hour already stuff so i'm sorry no don't be sorry no i was gonna i was just gonna say is there is there anything we haven't covered that you want to tell us about or do you have something on the horizon you want to push out or tell people where to find you it's so interesting because I'm not even sure what I'm allowed to say. I know, right? The redacted. Fine stuff can PC, but also redacted. We can't yes, talk about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a few projects that I'm really excited about, but I'm not allowed to show. <sighs> I'm not sure what I'm allowed to That's say. That's such a bummer, so right? Picture book coming out in a, like a crate, those subscription crates. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, but I don't know if I can talk about that. Just vaguely, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess what it's yeah vaguely vaguely uh it's about a topic my son's really into and i got to dedicate it to him so that's great because there's this thing like he grows so fast and picture books and books take so long that i'm like oh by the time this ends up on shelves he's going to be in like high school right and he's not going to care anymore that like the time frame on this one was pretty short so i'm like yes he's still into this topic yeah (laughs) and it should be within the next like three months uh and then i guess i am allowed to vaguely talk about my middle grade novel that comes out at the end of the year uh, just in generalities uh it will come out in germany oh which is an interesting one i'm not actually sure if it will be available in english yet oh my gosh um, how did you no. how did that happen <laughs> very end didn't i yeah, yeah. leave us so, leave us on a cliffhanger yeah a cliffhanger because i'm not sure, sure what i'm allowed to say about that one yet but that's an interesting story and hopefully i will I have to have you publisher to ask what i was allowed to say we'll have to have you back on then i haven't heard anything for, yeah for part yeah. two for the sequel the german sequel yes. because i mean yes. what <laughs> like i have so many questions so I, I do as well so it's it should be it should be really interesting so i don't know what that entails for like for me if i have to like travel or if <gasps> I have to. how cool would I that be know. though if you did have to travel I mean, I would absolutely not complain at all. Uh, (laughs) I'm there. I'm on the plane right now. Um, But yeah, so that's going to be an interesting one. Um, I kind of wish I could say more about it because it's kind of an interesting, weird foot in the door kind of thing. Um, And then a chapter book series that I also can't say much about that will come out next year as well. So that's my first foray into chapter book. And it's the most fun I have ever had writing anything. Oh, my gosh. They let me keep my best slash worst jokes oh i'm so excited so that's advice that we got straight from amy dykeman uh try try the crazy because they might like it or they might you know underline it 
Mm-hmm. Usually they say no, but I feel like my the one in the, the subscription crate let me keep my best joke. Yes, it's terrible. It's my worst joke ever. And they let me keep it. And yes, this series as well. Like, go for it. Sometimes they'll just be like, what are you thinking? And they'll, just, they'll cut it. Or they'll be like, this is really Australian. Nobody's going to understand this. Oh. So I always have to cut every reference to chook. Right, which is a chicken in Australian. So my mission in life is to get the word chook into a book. Maybe you should just uh, name the book chook, oh, right? Yes. Like start chook with that book. and be like, look, if you take it oh, out, chook. the whole book falls apart. Like it exactly. is integral, yeah. right? Otherwise, chicken, chicken the beacon doesn't work as well as chook the book, does it? So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, um, there's a lot of stuff that I'm, I'm always like tweeting about stuff very vaguely, sometimes less vaguely. So you're welcome to find me on the Twitters at, at, at Steph Campisi. That there may or may not be Steph from the Bronx. I think she does have the TikTok because somebody like tried to follow me on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. If she's on like, Twitter, yeah. I'm going to tag her in this episode because she yes, should know please, about please, her like, doppelganger oh, out in the world. <laughs> it's really strange um but yeah so i'm mostly on the twitters um people are welcome to email me if they have any questions or whatever um, oh, really i think i'm kind of vaguely on instagram and facebook but mm. not in any real way yeah. um yeah. yeah we'll see you on so, discord yeah. hey i have a parting yeah. Yeah. i have a very personal parting question that is important okay. for people who listen to this interview and then go and check out your books from the library or whatever um <laughs> how do you feel about um People who read Quacks Like a Duck out loud to their kids or to audiences or, you know, whatever. How do you feel about them doing Australian accents for Petunia? Oh, I love it. Please do your very worst Australian accent. Oh, my gosh. Please do it. So I, I read this Kirkus review for, thankfully not for one of my books, but it was it was for a very well-known children's picture book that is about a French animal. I won't, like, give away the name or whatever, but you probably know what I'm talking about. And the review said it, it said it disparagingly, that it would encourage people to do a really bad French accent. <laughs> that's, like, that's the best part. So, uh, yes, please, please do your very worst Australian accents. Watch some Bluey, like, really get yes, into absolutely. it. Yes, absolutely. I have, like, like, a really Aussie Australian accent that I, like, put on when I, when I read Quacks. It's called being a bogan, so I'm a bogan when I read that. <laughs> um, <laughs> bogan's kind of where, like blue denim and like have mullets and stuff oh i love that the deep south of australia yeah 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 absolutely so yeah be a bogan and yes please i would love you to do an australian accent even if it sounds like a south african or a new New zealander josh you're gonna have to add that to your repertoire it's very valid australian accent npr sleepy time library someone uh (laughs) uh, send in a shout out for the podcast where i get to do like my my best impression of rocco from rocco's modern life or something oh yes i love rocco right Yes. Is yes. it going to be one of us? One of us is going to send in the shout out and be yeah, like, right. please do this in your rock most modern life. Do that right now. Yeah. yeah. And just, just so you know, this, oh this episode gosh. is not going to end in me doing my Australian accent. It has to be on a separate recording where I can do multiple takes. So, you know, we'll oh, leave okay. that for later. Oh. It's expected. Oh yeah. my gosh. Come back for part two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Steph, thank you so, so much for coming on. This has been like so much fun and so informative. And I just thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and your, your, your vague information, but also your specific information. Both have been very delightful. Yeah, yeah, well, everyone listening, thank you for listening. And thank you for having me, Josh and Brenna. And yeah, go out there and go out there and do the thing. Be shameless. That's right. Yes, I love it. Not too shameless. Shameless within reason. 
Thanks for listening this week. Find all of our episodes and other associated links and information at linktree.com slash verse show. Or reach out to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll see you next verse. Bye.